Hi and welcome to Social Distancing the Church, my podcast series on how churches are responding to COVID. And again, this is going to be split into two parts, episode 7A, which is going to be the tag portion, and episode 7B, which is the theology portion. So let's get started on the tech portion. Today I'm joined with Ryan Herbert of... East Nazarene Church in the east side of Calgary and current stage of reopening in Calgary is stage two. Am I correct on that? Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah, I, stage two. And uh, which has no capsize on religious gathering as long as distancing requirements need to be met. That's right. And um, singing is still discouraged from what I understand as well. Yes, yeah, strongly discouraged. Yeah. Okay. So, is there anything else you want to add in there? I mean, for just the context of, of ministry here yeah. and what's happening, I, I don't know. I'm coming up on my one year kind of anniversary, if you will, of, of pastoring here. And it's been a pretty fun first year to be uh, a pastor. It's first senior pastoring role. Um, and I, I guess if there's anything to say, I'm really, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to serve Calgary East in this way and grateful to be, have the chance to speak with you about online ministry. Yeah, I'm glad you're on. Um, so we'll just start right away with how did you transition to not being able to hold services in person? Yeah, um, I'd say it just it felt really, really abrupt. I can't remember what the exact timeline was, uh, but I remember hearing in the months prior that like there's there's this coronavirus. It's going around the world. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. And there's always there's, there's kind of this sense of it's terrible. I'm glad it's not here. And then suddenly one week it was just, okay, no more. You can't get together. Everything's shut down. Uh, and so it felt very, very abrupt. And we we moved immediately to Zoom for, uh, for a service. I can't remember what our first service was like, um, but I'm betting it was pretty minimalistic to say we had probably had a, a preached message and some scripture reading, but I don't remember if we even tried to pull off any kind of um, shared prayer interaction. I don't, I don't remember the first service. I feel like a lot of churches don't remember the first service besides yeah. the scramble. <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like a scramble for the first, I'd say three weeks, uh, and then started to get a little bit more comfortable. Like, okay, I think this is what we're going to do. And then we kept on kind of kept on playing with it since then. So there isn't, there still doesn't feel like a, a large sense of normal, but we're getting there. And did you have an online presence before? Like you're a smaller church, so I assume it was minimal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pretty pretty minimal online presence. We had a, a Facebook page that we used mostly for like updates, whether it's a, like, hey, this is what's happening in the neighborhood or um, maybe a prayer request if it's a really urgent, but our website and our, and our Facebook page, mostly administrative tools, not very much for actual online streaming ministry or, or pre-recorded messages, anything like that. Yeah. And also from what I understand, cause I helped your tech team a few weeks ago, trying yeah. to integrate stuff into zoom is kind of your setup is, is you have a USB RoboCam in your sanctuary and then you're just running your soundboard through a focus right as well i believe that's right i'd actually don't i don't even touch the tech side i've entirely trusted that over to uh brad young and, and greg fudger and the folks that got working on yeah yeah they from what i've heard they've got like quite a setup for a small church like with an ndi dual streaming that's pc right. like it's smaller churches they're normally scrambling more on this but like from what i've gathered especially like you guys have a solid tech platform yeah i I think that's true like i say i'm not that's not my area of expertise but from what i've heard absolutely yeah and i think that what one of the things that was really exciting about um this transition into into kind of covid ministry era is um seeing how willing the board was to invest in having an online presence quite quickly. And we, so we've done we've some significant purchases in the last four months to be able to do that. And for that, I'm, I'm just so grateful to uh, the congregation that's continued to be faithful to give. Yeah. Cause like even something like a focus, right. Where bigger churches, it's like, Oh yeah, that's 
an easy investment. They set up, I think, somewhere around a hundred bucks, and on a right. small church, that's that's a bit more intimidating because I've served in smaller churches as well, and it's even something like that. Your budget scales by congregation size, so having a boy that's willing to invest is a big blessing you have. Yeah, absolutely, it has been. Um, my next question is, is why did you decide on a video calling platform like Zoom rather than YouTube? Cause yeah, go ahead. Whoa. The three main approaches for online churches being YouTube streaming, YouTube pre-recorded, or Zoom. So why right. did your church decide Zoom rather than those other two approaches? So this is uh, is pretty much a knee jerk reaction, and so right off right off the bat, I knew, I, I know how to use Zoom. I've been an online student for four or five years now, and I was confident that I could host a Zoom service. Whereas uh, putting together a pre recorded message and trying to get all that together was just an unfamiliar zone. So the first thing was, we're going with Zoom because I know how to do that. Um, the second part of that was we we've stayed with a live interaction. Because I don't really know anyone in our congregation who'd be excited to edit pre-recorded videos, and so that's the side where it's okay. We're going to keep on leaning towards the benefits of live because I don't think we're going to be able to realize some of the benefits of pre-recording. And then, as we've thought about that more theologically, we just value the live interaction and congregational participation. Christian worship is more than an information transfer; it's relationships between God and people. We we know this. It's also between people and people, and so like. The way that I've been thinking about it is our worship service is this act of prayer. I want people in our worship service to be able to feel like they're contributing to that prayer. And so we, we really value the live interaction um, platform. It, it, it's able to be facilitating that, that prayer rather than the kind of, you, you could show up to a, a YouTube service and you could get, receive really fantastic lessons. I listen to sermons most weeks on, on YouTube and, get great value from that that's not what we're trying to do uh is just to provide not just trying to provide a lesson on youtube yeah and like what i saw when i watched your service in preparing for this is you have taken the strengths of the interaction because you have so many different people participating in this service and yeah it's been it's been one of the things that's been significant both most like challenging and and also most rewarding as being trying to trying to bring people who are just in Zoom room from home to to into the service to be a participant an active participant in the service. One of the challenges with that is being um, the audio side of that, just being able to let different people with different le levels of technology, whether they're phoning in or using a, a newer laptop, older laptop, headset, no headset. Sometimes the audio quality just really isn't there. Um, but so we've, we've continued to kind of try to navigate that um, and we're getting better. <laughs> and I also feel like even though the audio quality is not there, on a Zoom call, you're more forgiving than if it was on YouTube. Yeah, right. I hope so. I hope so. As far as like a participant's frustration level. Because when I'm participating in a call and audio quality dips, I'm very much, this is a video calling software, it's not going to do well, whereas on YouTube I'm like, you had the time to do this better, and so yeah, I, I find well, at least I personally, video calls, I understand when audio dips. Mm -hmm. So... Moving on to my next question, what aspects of online services do you enjoy? There's many strengths and weaknesses of online services. What have you been enjoying in doing online services? Yeah, I think if there are many strengths to online um, presence, I, I think I don't have the skills yet to realize those many strengths. My preference would be strongly towards an in-person interaction. Uh, things that I have enjoyed include the way that um, board meetings and daily prayer gatherings can be they can they can happen without a commute. You don't have to actually like drive across the city to gather. And so I think that's that's enabled a lot of people to be gathered in in a way for our congregation to be even more connected on a daily basis than we were before. 
COVID hit. And I think that's been my both my personal experience in terms of like keeping touch with family and also my my church experience here. It's like we we have more of a of a togetherness through this COVID because we got pushed online and we've been trying to stay connected online instead of being like, like oh well it would be nice to have a midday prayer service in the sanctuary, but no one's gonna come to that because you can't take off work and head over to, to pray together. You can take 10 minutes out of your lunch break for an online prayer, a prayer, it's a live prayer gathering. And so that's been one of the things that I've really enjoyed has been staying connected on the, the day-to-day basis. Um, I think the other thing that I've enjoyed is the discovery of online presence being a way to meet people and to reach people that you just would never have seen before. And so I've consistently been just shocked on our Facebook page at how much, how many hundreds of people we have coming to Facebook on like a weekly or a monthly basis. But still it's like we would regularly have less than a hundred people in our kind of reach uh, as a congregation. And on, on Facebook, we're closer to like the 700 to a thousand range depending on what month it's been. And so there's a, a much greater reach there. That is two things um the prayer thing when i was talking with bryce ashamay of west life alliance they their prayer meetings that they held before in person weren't doing great and then during covid they transferred it to zoom like a lot of churches are and numbers are skyrocketing right like just like you guys where online prayer meetings actually work better and people are more willing to participate in that, which I yeah. think is cool. And also, just like how you're getting an increased amount of views, I'm pretty sure I haven't had a conversation with the church where they're like, we are having less views than what we've had in right. person. Every church I've talked to, they're like, our numbers are significantly higher. And online counting counts households right Mm -hmm. if an entire family sits there watching it together that counts as one view so when you told me your numbers i was like that is quite staggeringly high yeah and to to be clear those aren't our views on like a on like a particular video it's more of those are our page visits but yeah it has been they've been a lot higher numbers even on our views than than what we'd usually see because even it, you said you were under 100 people so if everybody in your church visited once a week yeah your month visit would be at 400 and you're at 700 right right so yeah. you so it's just a it's a nice eye opening um an eye-opening experience to see how far we could reach and how far those efforts might might reach if we were to become even more intentional about establishing an online presence. So it, it's more, or at this point, it's more of a question mark of what could we do than a clear vision of, well, if this is what we can reach, then this is what we're gonna do. But I'm pretty excited to continue online ministry. Yeah. Um, how have you, actually, I'll kind of go on to kind of continuing online ministry sure um have you been considering hybrid services where it's both online and in person going forward yeah definitely um part of our reluctance to come back to an in-person gathering um has been the fact that most of our congregants, I think this is fair to say, and I hope I'm not insulting anybody, but most of our congregants exist in at least one, if not multiple of those kind of health status realms where they're particularly vulnerable to the coronavirus, whether it be have a breathing condition or another medical condition or, or age, it's just a matter of, this is quite a, you're really playing with people's lives to come back together and risk an outbreak. And so I think we've been reluctant to head that direction. But on the, on the flip side of that, the, the trick is that if technology is the main way that you're reaching people, there's also older people who really struggle with technology, really struggle to connect on there. And so what we're hoping to do and planning toward is exactly that, a hybrid service where actually most of our congregation signs in online and those shut in um, less, less technologically savvy 
members of our congregation can come and be very, very socially distant and, and still be able to be a participant in, in the prayers of our community. You're, so my, for context, my church here in Saskatoon, Westgate Alliance, they've been in a hybrid service for a bit now, just because okay. they have the space and we're doing double services. So we stream on YouTube and then we do in person and kind of the approach normally has been, and I feel this is for most churches when they start going into a hybrid model, is those who are most comfortable returning are the ones right. who are coming, whereas you're kind of flipping it and you're considering, let's just bring in those who can't connect online. Like that's... Yeah. Yeah, I think that that would be a... My, my thought is that that's a better instinct because there's those folks who are like most isolated by COVID. If we can at least offer the chance for them to have, have a connection with their church family, I'd, I'd rather do that than say, hey, if you're willing to take the risk, then go ahead and come on in. Um, so that's been at least our our instinct. And I think it's really interesting because that's not, a. as I've talked to multiple pastors about this now, I've never heard a pastor consider, hey, let's bring in the more older, isolated people who are more at risk. Right, yeah. It could be foolishness, really. But I think that if with the numbers that we have who, who just really, really struggle to connect on Zoom, um, we could have... I think we're looking at numbers like 10 people in a 100-person sanctuary, maybe even more like five people in a 100-person sanctuary. You can really have a lot of distance, yeah. and you're looking at the most cautious people in your congregation as well who have been the most isolated, so there's less chance of that, those kind of infection overlaps. So those are those are kind of the pieces that contribute to that decision. Yeah. Uh, moving on, how have you maintained a sense of community? Because that's what churches are struggling with right now is... How do you maintain community when unable to meet in person? Yeah, I think that Zoom is a large a large way that we've continued to do that is that you, you do have live interaction on your Sunday mornings. And so there's that where there's a regular time slot in people's imaginations for when am I going to see my, my church people? They still, we still, we still are connecting with one another online um, in a live capacity. So that's one way. Um, another way is being that after our service, um, we've been, having breakout rooms in the zoom feature to be able to to kind of meet with one another afterwards and they're just randomly assigned and i think i realized that not many people in our congregation are really comfortable with that and i don't know if that's because it's like oh i don't know if i'm going to end up in a room with this person and that would be really uncomfortable or just don't really feel like staying on zoom longer than, than the session zoom fatigue seems to be a, a now very common a common use but uh that's been one way that we've at least attempted to provide a chance for some people to chat. And some people regularly find a, a refreshing time of, of chatting with somebody who's stuck around in those rooms. Um, I mentioned our Facebook live prayers. Those are, those are a way that um, just midday prayer, we've been able to stay connected to each other. Um, as far as in-person gatherings, this is a, a, the learning curve where I think um, we haven't really we haven't done this as a church family. And by that, I mean, if there's like a centralized, let's let's all get together plan, there isn't one. But I think what I've kept on hearing is I've noticed how cohorts kind of pop up within the church family where it's like, okay, this family is kind of looking after that family staying connected. And this family is looking after that family staying connected. Um, I've heard of those kind of networks where people have adjusted to friendship with social distance. Have you kind of spinning off that cohort idea? Have you considered mm -hmm. doing viewing parties where you encourage a few cohorts that are already interacting to watch together? Is that something you've considered? Oh, that isn't that isn't something that I've considered. Could you tell me more about that? So a big thing, and this is more happening, like not just within churches, but uh, more broadly in the secular realm as well is instead of watching stuff individually, just like you'd go over to a friend's house to watch a baseball game, you right. could go over to a friend's house and watch church service. Um, mm -hmm. That's something my church is kind of discussing where it's like, you might not be comfortable coming to service where there's 40 people, but you've got those family friends that you're already hanging out on Friday right. night. 
what if you hang out Friday night and then Sunday morning as you watch church? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great idea, especially even just as a suggestion. You don't have to. You could either formalize that into cohorts to say, "Hey, would you guys look after each other?" Um, if, it, if it came to it, but or those natural connection points to say, "Hey, if we're already getting together, if we decided this is a cohort situation." I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, another way that we've been staying connected has been by using Zoom as a Bible study platform. Um, men's study was kind of like for the first first two months of COVID, and we've started to kind of taking a break through the summer. And there's a there's a ladies' study that's continued to meet through the through the summer. So, yeah, Zoom has continued to be our our main platform of connection. We're taking advantage of that in a few different ways. And it's it's one of those things where you're already paying for Zoom. You might mm-hmm. as well make the most might of it. Might as well. Yeah. Um, but it's also the fact that you guys chose Zoom and you're a smaller church. You're just going to not struggle as much with community compared to the mid-size or the bigger churches that are streaming yeah. on YouTube. I think that's true. Those natural friendship points are already strong enough that people are holding on to each other. Where, Whereas in the, that wider community, you might find the church is kind of like the one central point where we where we would meet meet each other that maybe those those relationships are are more fragile by distance yeah um and then kind of my last point on the technology is how what do you see as the future of technology and worship going forward there's always this push and pull between people who are like let's embrace technology more and then those who are like, no, we need to minimize our reliance on tech. Yeah. So how do you predict the church will negotiate this relationship with technology? I guess my hope would be that while technology can effectively serve the church's mission to proclaim the good news, the kingdom of heaven has come near, um, can establish relationships between people. I, I think about that, the, the issue of reach. And right now it seems to me that at least in the evangelical church, that's very, very broad and, and ambiguous term. But in, so in the churches that I'm, I'm aware of, there's a there's kind of a barrier between ourselves and surrounding communities. We're wondering, how do we make this proclamation more public? If, we're, if, if everyone needs to know that Jesus Christ has lived, died, rose again, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. If everyone needs to know that, how do we broadcast this message and make it accessible? And if everyone needs, if everyone can receive the Holy Spirit and be totally like transformed into living lives of love, that our, our society could experience the kingdom of God coming here because of what Jesus has done. How do we get this outside of our sanctuary where people can go? And I think that we've been asking the question more like, how do we get more people who don't know into the sanctuary? And I don't think I've seen that work ever in my lifetime, in my short lifetime, admittedly. But it's like, okay, I don't know of many places where the first step at least has been, yeah, come to church. And that's been working really well. So online, I think, becomes this point of proclamation where, no, we can actually get this outside of our walls. And it's no longer you have to go to a building that might be stigmatized in order to hear that Jesus loves you. Just sign on, follow a link. And so I've been trying to think through what does it look like for us to have a more intentional online presence that's obedient to Jesus' call for us to be fishers of people. Um, how do you make that more and more accessible and more and more public? I think that's a really well articulated articulated viewpoint of the reach outside of the building because that's what churches are finding right now is their reach is significantly better and I think you just articulated it well where it was like these are all concepts I've heard before but it's all just really clicking with me right now in that (laughs) it just yeah people don't come to buildings but they're willing to click on the links yeah Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan, for your insights behind the tech behind East Nazarene's worship services in the midst of COVID. And I would recommend you guys check out uh, episode 7B, which is the theology. We had a really good discussion, so I'll put the links in the description. Also, in the description, I'll put a link to uh odom's spotify page he provided the music 
for my intros and outros and also there will be a link to my Instagram where I've been doing more of my social media posts and including some more behind the scenes stuff. Hi and welcome to episode 7b of Social Distancing the Church with Ryan Herbert. He's the pastor of East Nazarene Church and if you want to hear more of his context he mentions it in episode 7a and yeah I'll just continue the conversation here which is the theology of portion. As much I want to quickly now moving on to the theology section as Marshall McLuhan says, the medium is the message. This means that some changes would have to be made when transitioning from in-person services to online services. What changes did you decide to make when you transitioned into an online format? Hmm. I don't know if I've thought through particularly the, the medium is the message, um, particularly the, the idea that we might bear the word and so like being in person has spiritual significance. But I think that that's... Um, as one of the reasons that we adjusted to Zoom was at least that when you feel like there's another person on the other line and there there's a real interaction that's happening, it, it draws your attention, it draws yourself into that moment in a, in a different way. And so choosing live interaction over pre, pre-recording has been an effort to kind of engage that. I'd say that if there's a main medium of, of our worship and of our message that we've leaned into, it's being the word of God it's being the way that since we can hear the word of God spoken over <laughs> the interwebs, uh, you can you can continue to, to minister in that way. Um, and then in singing together, what you lose with Zoom is any sense of meaningful simultaneity. You can't really sing in chorus without weaving it all together because of the sort of five second delay or maybe even just a half second delay that's even worse than the five second delay. Um, it's, anyway. I think some of the some of the changes we've moved towards is, is a much more word heavy service, um, and part of that's intentional on my part. Is I was already hoping to kind of move that direction, and I'm hoping that we will go even further into that direction in the months to come. That um, where where typically our worship has been characterized by a couple of verses being read in the service and then and then preached at length and then most of the most of the sort of the content of our prayers has been song that's that may or may not have a lot of scriptural content i'm, I'm hoping that we can move more and more towards um a worship service that is really really word heavy really scripture heavy still engages participation in speaking and listening um, and doesn't doesn't discount song, but for now, if, if song doesn't work very well over Zoom, it seems like a really good opportunity for us to engage with that. So, I'm going to push back a bit here. How are you yeah. going to? Um, your approach is sounding very intellectual, and as I've kind of mm-hmm. like known a bit about you, is that kind of leans a bit more into your strengths. How do you continue? being this intellectual but still have that emotional side if you're leaning more into word because especially in person like the music is what emotionally impacts people so how are you going to try and find that balance yeah no that's a that's an excellent question and it's one that i don't have a strong answer to to be honest um people talk about the needing to appeal to if you use the Myers-Briggs spectrum you've got that uh the the feeling type versus the thinking type and I'm pretty strongly it actually personally I'm pretty strongly situated in the middle but I have a slight lean towards the thinking um and as far as um my own kind of formation has gone definitely is more towards an intellectual we got to think through our faith I think that the Church of the Nazarene has emphasized that pretty strongly too in the in its um it's sort of, what should I say, it's heavy emphasis on, on education for, for clergy. And so I've, I've been part of that program. And so it's definitely the place where I lean most, uh, most strongly. As far as actually answering the question of how do you engage people in feeling, um, my hope would be that it's, if we can't use song 
and so far it looks like we can't for the for the time being that story becomes part of part of that engagement with feeling that you can find yourself caught up in a narrative that actually engages your emotions your feelings that sense of anticipation uh and scripture does this uh, i'm not sure exactly how to how to engage that very very well um because um, it's true that even though you, you could read a story very dryly and it gives no sense of anticipation but if you can tell a story that scripture tells and remain faithful to the text in the way that you tell it and yet also remain a storyteller who draws your listeners along with you i think that there's a, there's a significant way that we can appeal to senses like feeling to the emotions through story and still be within spoken word um as, as i say that another way that you could go for that is is through poetry through not not sung words but through songs of sorts that can be read and shared lyrics move our minds and our feelings in different ways so those are those are ways that i that i'm hoping we can continue to start to start to leverage in in different ways um i'm also hopeful that maybe um with with a greater kind of human resources towards music that we can use song my my concern though is that in a lot of the the lyrics that i've heard in in contemporary christian music there there isn't a lot of what i'm going to call christian content um you can you can name god but a lot of songs don't even name god and don't speak the name of jesus christ they only use personal pronouns those songs are totally appropriate within within the context of a movement of a worship service where jesus is clearly named but they don't they don't really share that much and so i think there's a there's a lack in our in our worship service that we can we can be more intentional about the formational aspects of of worship i don't know if that answers your question very fairly but it, it very much does because like you talk about story and poetry and like i'm like those are two things that churches have kind of kind of disregarded it in recently where it's like especially as I started with Ambrose and I had profs who you'd have a reading assignment and you're like well guess I'm reading all the first kings today right. and then you're you're reading it in this bigger narrative and then you're like wait this is actually good story yeah but then we just we piecemeal it very much in our sermons and then churches don't kind of think of the grander narrative and they don't tell it as a story they tell it as a lesson and so mm -hmm. the shift where you're thinking i'm going to tell it as a story that could very much be more moving because you think about it some stories it's like this doesn't have much weight if you just fragment it into a passage but when you tell yeah. it as a story it's actually more moving and you just kind of have to take bigger chunks of scripture sometimes, which is a good yeah. approach. Which I, I really hope that we can start to do well here at Calgary East, and maybe maybe even broader. If this be, if this becomes kind of a, a problem, a problem uh, challenge that, that the church faces, and how do we express our faith in ways that do appeal to thinking and feeling types together? Uh, I think that story is a powerful way to do that. Um. And then, so you kind of said some of the decisions you made in transitioning to an online format, but sometimes there isn't decisions that are made by you, but made for you. Sometimes you do something and it just completely flops online. Has right. there kind of been something where you've found, you were like, let's just do it as we normally do it. And then you do it online mm. and it completely flops and then you're like, guess we're not doing that anymore have you come across that yeah i'd say lar largely speaking even from the from the get-go we i kind of I, I chose a different order of service than we usually had in person but a lot of the elements stayed the same and so what we tried to do was we tried to share music using youtube um and just using zoom's share screen option to to bring that on and that worked pretty well for most uh, video callers, but part of our part of our unique setting at at Calgary East Church is there are some who don't have computers, and what one of the reasons we chose Zoom is that you can actually phone into a Zoom meeting, and mixing the audio for it to come through clearly over the phone and over someone else's laptop and over someone else's tablet 
feels impossible. I don't know if it's actually impossible, but it, it wasn't possible for me, and it hasn't been possible yet for our techs to really to really nail that. Uh, and so we've largely like we we wrestled with that for a long time. I think like for for several weeks, maybe maybe eight weeks, feeling like well we can't just let go of song. We want to keep these as part of the order of worship. We want to keep um, a shared singing, even though we're not like singing into our own microphones that we're gonna sing along with this YouTube. Uh, pre-recording this is going to be what we do it just was going terribly and sometimes youtube just wouldn't work at all like you get nothing at all and so then you're sort of just ad-libbing trying to bring that in and so what we've done most recently has been to to cut songs out of the main flow what i'll, I'll call the main flow of our order of service um and to then bring songs at the end to say look we're going to share these over zoom here also is a link to those songs, it, just in case Zoom is not really giving them to you very well. If, you, if this audio quality isn't coming through very clearly and you have the option that you can follow this link to YouTube or to another platform to, to sing along, then please know we're praying with you. We're here in the, the, the small team of us is here at the sanctuary. We're gonna be feeding this consistently through Zoom or seeing this through, we're praying together. Um, but <laughs> if, if things are going terribly, as far as audio quality goes on in this zoom call, then go ahead and just head on over to YouTube um, right after. And sort of, it feels like after the service to me, it's not integrated into the formal uh, worship order, but I think of it almost as a lingering space. I know I've experienced this in some worship services where it feels like they end and you just want to stay and pray and reflect. You don't want to, you're not in like really a rush to really leave God's presence. And it's like, could I, could we just, you almost want to ask the worship team, could you could you play a few more? Like, would that be okay? Um, I don't, but I think of it as that time of the time to linger, to reflect on the message that's been spoken, and also to to praise God together. So, those have been some of the adjustments that we've made for and decisions that seem like they were made for us. We wouldn't have gone there if we could have pulled off the first idea, but technology just does not seem to be in our favor that way. Yeah, um, two points off that is. Yeah, it's mixing audio for multiple devices. It's something quite differently. Like when I was editing chapels for spring semester at Ambrose, I very much had to think, oh, I'm editing it on this nice setup. And most people are probably watching it on their phones or their laptops. Right. And so I would pull up a laptop and I'm like, how does it sound here? Because I was finding out like, oh, this sounds really good on my headphones, but if I switch to a different pair of my headphones, it doesn't, right? So it's like mm. thinking through mixing for multiple devices. It's just, it's hard and you, it's a never-ending battle because there's just so <laughs> many. And then, yeah, that, the idea of a lingering space is really smart because um, Ambos particularly has a worship night where it's like, they very much do soft stops where it's like that's the end of our main set but we're going to keep here and playing three more songs and then everybody just kind of stays and when you're on the tech side of it you're like i kind of just want to start tear down i've been here yeah, for be four now. hours <laughs> yeah maybe six hours but then at the same time it's like it's a lot of times people just get really annoyed when they get rushed out of the door at worship services is there it's very much we're done now out you go and then you see it where people just want to linger and so having that idea where you have this kind of part of your service where you're like we're just going to linger and listen to music and it may not work really well but we're going to try it i think that's a good way of approaching it it was a great suggestion from one of our one of our techs who's just like you know I realized that like this back and forth here is is not working to go from song to Zoom speakers back to song and it's creating issues. Um, but so he said he suggested I think it's worth it to hold on to music probably for a lot of convictions that, that you shared already to say there's there's more to this than just kind of what what ingredients do you need for for a, a Christian worship service. There's there's real there's good reasons to engage our imaginations in song engage our feelings uh, moving on communion mm -hmm. has been a difficulty for most churches how has east naz been approaching communion 
Yeah. I would say that because of my own theological indecisiveness about whether or not it's appropriate to say, my, my, my first instinct was to go, you know what? Everyone has something in their house that they could eat and they could drink. We're going to go through the words and I'm going to suggest, hey, why don't you pick up some some bread and some some grape juice, bread and wine, if you like. Um, and let's let's just practice communion that way. I, I'm not sure. I hear the arguments on one side that say that's not actually sharing in one loaf, in one cup. So that's a, maybe a sacrilegious way to try and practice communion. I hear that argument. I hear the argu other argument that says, but it's the one spirit that holds us together that we're celebrating. And so in my own indecisiveness, my own unwillingness to land, what, what our response has been to that is to continue a monthly celebration of the Lord's Supper. But you guessed it. It's all in word. There's there's no physical elements. And for me, when I, when I've thought about this, I think it's a, an accurate expression of lament to say we can't be together as the body of Christ. We're not physically together, and we were we're not going to physically have these elements. We will continue to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will continue to proclaim that Christ has died, is risen, is coming again. His spirit binds us together as one people. But we're not we're not going to celebrate communion with with the with the elements. Um, and so I'm I'm actually quite curious how other other theologians might respond to that kind of approach. But those have been that's been sort of my logic behind that. Is there's been an indecisiveness, but also a leaning into that side of I think we can just be sad about the fact that we can't celebrate communion in, in this full way. An interesting thing um, when I had Terry Fall on. For episode two, um, who he's the uh, chaplain of Ambrose, and he's also a Nazarene guy. He kind of mm. said the exact same thing. What if churches just kind of stopped communion for a bit and just kind of lamented in that and just kind of sat in that? And so it's like right. his approach was very much different because he doesn't have a church, right? Like it was kind of right. as his community was dispersing. So he's like. What if churches said this and here you are within his tradition doing that? So I'm like, that's interesting that the church decided this is what we're going to do and just hold on to that lament. Because yeah. when you get together finally and have communion, that's going to have a big impact for a lot of people. I sure hope so. I really, I really do. And I mean that in more ways than I can share on, on a public podcast. <laughs> yeah, I hope that there is a significant impact. Um, I'll say this too, and I'd love if anyone who's you can feel free to share by by email with anyone who uh, any of your any of your listeners here, but or to hear back from you. One of the ideas that I've been batting around in terms of uh, an in-person event that could be like an in-person worship experience. That's not like not really a traditional, let's gather in one space and sing and, and pray and hear. Um, but it instead is a stationed event where you might have five or 10 stations around your facility, maybe around your church property and have a, a bit of a stations of the cross communion service. That feels like an event where you could logistically say to every cohort that comes through this, here is your bottle of sanitizer everything that you touch needs to be wiped down before you move to the next station and you leave it very simple to do that. You just, here's, here's the table and just, you just need to spray everything down. But for that to either begin or to end with um, that cohort partaking in, in the Lord's supper together and through it, doing a stations of the cross prayer exercise. I think that that's, um, that's an idea that I've been batting around and just haven't had the, uh, what I'm going to call the administrative capacity to pull off just yet. So what would that idea just sounds really interesting and I want to hear more. So what would that kind of all look like logistically and what would each station kind of be quickly? Yeah, so I, th I think the, the very, very simple and raw way to do that is that it, it feels to me like Matthew's gospel where he starts starting with the Lord's Supper and heading into Christ's crucifixion could easily and neatly be broken into sort of 10 episodes and so what I would what I would do and what I might do <laughs> is to have 10 
either tables or maybe even just signs, maybe even just music stands set up with a, with a reading attached to it. Um, and maybe a reading and an image would be really good. Um, but the, the raw section, the raw way, let's just, just take the, the straight word uh, would be just, just a reading at 10 different stations throughout this. I, my, my vision for that would be to start the very first station is with a, with a quick service of communion, like a spoken uh, service where you receive the Lord's Supper. Because that's the way that Matthew organizes this story is that the disciples who go on to betray Jesus, go on to desert him, go on to see him crucified, they first receive this body and blood that Jesus says, this is my body and blood broken for you and shed for you. And it's going to be the new covenant in my, in my blood. They don't even know what's going on next. But even that night, Jesus is going to be arrested, betrayed, tried, and the next day crucified. And it just happens so quickly. But like to, to receive communion and then to linger in that story of, of Jesus' death, um, I think would be a really, a really great prayer and worship experience, uh, a really great meditation on God's word. So that's kind of the... The image that I would have would be to receive communion and then enter into 10 movements of reflection on the scriptures. It's really interesting because like everybody's kind of the big thing is, is you reflect and then take communion, but you're scripturally backed <laughs> up, but you're taking it's communion then reflecting. <laughs> yeah, I guess there'd be... Um be all kinds of theological debates and I could get myself strung up in some circles for suggesting such a thing. Um, so we don't need to go there today. Um, my, but my instinct there is, I think there's something surprising about God's grace that goes before us that offers himself before we even really understand what's being offered. And I think that's what we see in, in the way that Matthew tells the story is yeah. these disciples are like, we'll never deny you. I'll go like, Peter says, I'm going to die with you. And so say all the other disciples. And then they have the opportunity, having received this last supper with Jesus. And they betray him. They desert him. They're, they're nowhere to be found. And to think through that, I think, is just a powerful way to flip that on its head to be like, okay, I need to get all my ducks in a row before I can really approach God. I think that's a, a an instinct if you grow up in the church. There's strongly emphasized that it's like, you know what? You got to be right with God in order to approach him. And I, I just see the way that God interrupts that logic and says, um, I'm coming after you. <laughs> I hope you're ready. Yeah. Um, and I think just kind of like that would also like logistically work well where you're spreading your congregation between 10 spots. So it's, yeah. say, what you could do is that, for your church size that's under 100, it's only groups yeah. of 10. That's yeah. two families. And you just have staggered arrival, or it's like, hey, sign up for this slot. And so then I'm thinking like probably five minutes would be plenty of time in between each station. So you have 10 groups of 10. Um, you have, or for us, it's probably, probably even closer to like 10 groups of six or something like that come through and you have a five minute segment and it's like, okay, first group is here. And then just maybe, I don't know if you ring a bell, if you sound, uh, sound some kind of signal to say, okay, if you move on now to the next station, then the next group is then free to come to your station. So spray, <laughs> spray your table down, move on. And then, yeah, you can do it safely from a distance. Um, my next question is, is how do you think worship services will look going forward? Because churches are making changes during this time. They're switching stuff. They're like, hey, this is an area we've been missing out. For example, you're leaning more into spoken word. And these changes are mainly being justified as optimizations for online services. Right. But they were also, at in some situations, there were changes that needed to be made. And maybe the church realized and was moving into that direction and was speeding up mm -hmm. and COVID just sped them up. Or there's some that are like learning of their shortcomings during COVID and are like, oh, we need to change some stuff now. Right. And so do you think these changes that have been made 
are going to get reversed as soon as in-person services resume? Or do you think worship services going forward are going to look different? I'll say this. Um, I mentioned a change in order of service. Um, and we moved pretty quickly into uh, Robbie Castleman wrote a book called Story Shaped Worship. Um, and so there's kind of a seven movement order of worship that's kind of advanced in that book. And we moved pretty quickly into that. I just kind of like went to a different template to start playing with things um, from the from the regular. I think there's going to be, if we get back together in any kind of near future, I think there's still going to be a huge amount of, I'm going to call it inertia, to say if we're, if we're in the familiar space, we remember the rhythms here, we want to go back to the way things were because we're i think there's going to be a huge sense of satisfaction that finally we can have things normal again and then to hold on to some of the changes that have been brought in whether that changes to the order or the style of service whether it's changes to like the community values that it's like oh we were a different community through covid and i think that needs some of that difference needs to stay i think it'll be i think there's going to be some inertia to overcome if we if we get back in any time anytime soon if this is a long term like if we have a experience a second wave and we're getting into a year of upset i wonder if it would be even more different if it'll be a sense of like okay there's there's going to be less inertia to overcome because we've had to change and now we've become more settled in this adapted place um i don't know what things are going to look like heading forward. But I brought up Robbie Castleman's book, uh, Story Shaped Worship, because I've noticed in that um, there's some strengths, particularly in that resource for, for an order of worship and in thinking through the order of worship theologically. But I've also noticed um, ways that it can become, it's become a little bit, I don't know if stale is quite the right word, but our, our community at least sees repetition as somewhat, somewhat boring, somewhat like, um, and, uh, not very, not very alive, not very participatory. Uh, and so I'm, I'm noticing that we might need to change some things around as far as that, that order of worship goes. And so I'm hopeful that because Zoom meetings and because COVID has jarred us into changing our order of service, that we'll maybe develop a few different orders of service that are both theologically sound and, um, expressive of the community's life not not stale in the sense of like same thing happening every day i'm i'm bored <laughs> i know what's coming next it's so predictable i'm hoping that this kind of jarring will, will help us to continue being creative in how we order our prayers together um how's that for an answer to your question i'm not sure if i really touched on it very i well. i think you kind of did where you're like moving into more uh hey, let's be a bit more intentional with liturgies um, and having a bit more depth behind them. There was a shock I kind of went through kind of, I think between like my second and my third year is, so I've, in Calgary, I was associated with Valley View Presbyterian, which they're relatively evangelical for a Presbyterian church. But, they hold on to that Presbyterian root in that they order their services with intention and they think through mm -hmm. everything. And then it was kind of, as I went back home, there was kind of this shock where it was services that aren't ordered, but they're just kind of slopped together. And then it's kind of, you copy and paste the previous weeks and then you switch out the songs and the sermon but it's yep. still the same order. So moving into that more intentional ordering, I think is something that some churches should start considering more. And as you said, maybe just ordering it in a more narrative way would be. Yeah. I, I wonder, I wonder if that might be a good way to go. Um, if, if you or any of your listeners are interested in another resource, I'm trying to remember, um, there's, there's another book that I'm hoping to share with our worship team here. I've been hoping for a while, just trying to think of a venue and a, a time for us to, hey, can I ask for more of your time for a, for a training event? What is it called? I think it's called The Worship Architect. By, I, um, I think I've read that book. <laughs> 
No, I haven't. Okay. I read the special uh, service does Const- not contact. Constance M. Cherry. Yeah. Constance M. Cherry. Um, that that does, she offers also kind of like a instead of a seven a seven move plan, there's a four move plan that has a lot more openness, and that that resource just has a lot of uh, suggestions too for how you might approach uh, approach services and service planning and service order in a way that's both. Um, I'm going to call it just fresh, for lack of a better word. It's engaging. It's um, surprising in some ways, but it is also theologically sound and intentional in the in the moves that you make through that service. So anyway, there you go. Worship Architect, yeah. Constance Cherry. I've read the Special Services Architect by Constance Cherry, and there's points I disagree, but I'm like, that's smart, like the intention building that mm-hmm. is in that book. Where it's kind of starting to think through liturgies more intentional. Yeah. And kind of my last question here is, how is your religious community approaching reopening? Um, as people are divided between rushing back into the buildings to hold services and others scared to join, how have you been leading people into this conversation of reopening? I think we've been, the best word, like in one word answer would be cautiously. Um, slowly might be another word. <laughs> and basically, I've been comparing comparing notes with other pastors for, I haven't, I haven't done the measurements in our own congreg, like our own um, sanctuary space to be like, this would be our social distance maximum. But when I, when I compare our our sanctuary size to say Skyview Community Church also in Calgary, and I, I kind of look at the estimates that they're making. I look at our service and say, I think we could only have maybe fifteen people in our space, which means we'd want to be running four or five services if we were moving to an all in person gathering, which I'm not really interested in doing while Zoom has been serving so well. Um, and so between the, I, our move to caution has been both logistic in terms of if we're still under those kind of social distancing parameters, there's no way I want to I want to be cleaning in between four or five services to get us through the same the same formational prayer time that we could do on Zoom, and to spend all the all the money and the time to to do that, it doesn't feel like there's much of a win at the end of that for sort of 15 of us to get together at a time. Um, so we've we've been approaching pretty cautiously. And part of that is because, as I've shared in our, our conversation, a lot of our members are pretty vulnerable. And so it feels like it's not just playing risk with, oh, maybe you'll get sick and maybe it'll be severe. It feels a lot like if we do have an outbreak here, we're saying goodbye to most of our friends here. So that's not something that we're terribly interested in doing. Yeah. And especially with how low your numbers would be, it's not worth coming back when as my church does split services where half the congregation goes to one and half the other, people are like, or we were expecting some backlash of, oh, my one friend is going to this service. I want to go to the same service as them. Right. And then all of a sudden everybody's in one service because they want to be with their friends. Right. And so, especially when it's only 15 people, that's three or four households, right? That's... it's For, for our demographic and the kind of the, the look that we have, it's probably more like six or eight couples kind of thing, like in that, in that range. But yeah. So, yeah. you wouldn't be including that many people. And so, like, a lot of people would be like, oh, I want to hang out with another group, but they're in service three, and that right. group wants to hang out with those <laughs> who are in service five. And so, like, logistically, I don't think people in your congregation would be too excited about being split into five services. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, one of my regrets to date has been not having a, a survey already distributed to see how more people are feeling. I'd say this this response reflects the, the general tenor of the board for sure and for for several people who i've spoken to there is an itchiness to be together but i think that itchiness that that urge is more to be together in a large group and that's not going to happen yeah anytime soon 
Okay, is there anything else you want to comment on? I don't think so. No, I think I've really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you taking the initiative to uh, to pursue this conversation. Oh, and I've been going to be a little bit difficult to get a heart, get a hold of. Um, yeah, I appreciate your time and the, and the chance to have a conversation about it. Thank you for joining me. And I understand it is a very busy time for pastors right now. And so thank you for taking the time to join me on this. You're very welcome. Thank you again, Ryan, for joining me today and having this conversation. You had really good insights and everything, and I greatly enjoyed this conversation. And I also want to thank Odom for providing the music that I use for my intro and outro. That's a huge benefit. And also, thank you everyone who's been watching this. I've been getting a decent amount of traction and I've been greatly encouraged by how well it's been going and if you want you can also follow me on Instagram I'll share more of the behind the scenes stuff and all that so I recommend you check me out there as well